1: Will face severe persecution and even death. The Antichrist ruler will be ruthless in his attempts to get rid of all believers on planet Earth. From Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, this is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Our studies in Matthew 24 have brought us to verses 22 through 31. Today, Pastor Steve begins a three part message entitled The Supreme Sign of Christ's Return. In his study today, the Tribulation will be cut short. Steve will examine the fifth sign of Christ's return which he gave his disciples. At the end of this class, I will tell you how you can listen to it again on the web. Open your Bible to chapter 19, as Pastor Steve tells us of the reason for the great Hallelujah Chorus that will be sung in heaven.
2: Tradition says that when King George II of England first heard the Hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah that he was so emotionally moved by this that he rose to his feet and stood even while it was still being sung. And when the king stood, then everyone else in attendance also stood up, starting a tradition that has lasted well over 200 years. To the Hallelujah chorus, is such a moving piece of music because it focuses on the most glorious theme in history, which is the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. But did you know that just before Jesus returns to earth, Scripture says that all of heaven is going to break forth in their own version of the Hallelujah Chorus. In fact, this is where Handel got This music and the words from it's found in Revelation chapter 19. I'd like you to see this in Revelation 19, starting at verse one. We read this after these things. John writes, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time, they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, amen. Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying hallelujah for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. We read here that at the end of the time of the tribulation, both the holy angels and all the redeemed in heaven are going to break forth into shouts of hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. So they are praising the Lord. And why are they praising the Lord? They are praising the Lord because they are rejoicing at the defeat of Antichrist's wicked system, here called the harlot, knowing that this means that Jesus Christ will soon be returning to earth. And that's why we read this passage that I read to you a few minutes ago from Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16, that Christ is coming. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. And they know that this is about to happen. You see, by giving forth their own hallelujah chorus, heaven is celebrating the return of of Christ to the earth because this is the moment that history has been moving towards for all of eternity. However, the Bible teaches that before the celebration in heaven begins, the earth is going to experience the worst of all times, known as the tribulation period. As you already know, one of the primary places in Scripture where this is taught is Matthew 24. So let's turn there. Matthew chapter 24. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been studying this 24th chapter of Matthew, and we have been discovering that in response to a request made by the Lord's disciples, asking Him for a sign that would indicate that, When he was about to initiate his kingdom on earth, Jesus gave them not one sign, but several signs. They asked for one sign. He gave them several signs. As we've already noted, these signs are also called birth pangs. Verse 8 tells us that because they are like the labor pains of a woman, a pregnant woman, as they will increase in frequency, in intensity, in duration as the birth of the kingdom draws closer. Now, up to this point, we've examined four of these signs or these birth pains. Jesus defined them as an increase in the following events or the following things happening. This is at the beginning of the tribulation period. There will be an increase in counterfeit messiahs who will deceive and mislead many people, many false Christs saying, I'm the messiah. There will be an increase in conflicts between nations, wars, and rumors of wars that will smash the hopes for peace on earth and will cause great fear among people. There will be an increase in calamities on the earth in the form of devastating natural disasters, earthquakes and plagues and terrors and famines. There will also be at the midway point of the tribulation period, an increase in an intensifying of contempt for believers in Christ. Verse 9 tells us that there will be a very well-organized, worldwide, government-sponsored persecution that will result in the death of many Christians. It will be ordered by the one world ruler, known as the Antichrist, also known as the beast, known as the man of lawlessness, known as the son of perdition, And at that time, he will make being a Christian a crime punishable by death. And why will this man be so enraged so as to pursue and assault believers in Christ all over the world? Well, still under the heading, still under the category and thinking of the fourth sign being the contempt for believers in Christ. In verse 15, as we saw last week, Jesus spoke of the event that will provoke the Antichrist to launch this intense worldwide persecution of Christians. We read in verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. The Lord called this event the abomination of desolation, meaning it is the abomination that leads to the temple being abandoned or left desolate. Because Antichrist is going to do something so detestable, so abominable, so repulsive both to God and to the Jewish people that it will cause the Jewish nation to abandon their own temple in Jerusalem so that it becomes desolate. They'll not be there. It's theirs, but they'll not be there. Now, according to what Paul teaches in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and we already looked at this last week, I'm just reminding you and also explaining to those who were not here, this abominable act is defined by Paul as Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, at the midway point of the tribulation period, three and a half years into it, this man is going to sit down in the temple in Jerusalem, Declare himself to be deity. He'll say that he's God and he will demand to be worshipped by all. And according to the book of Revelation, the majority of people on this planet will worship him. They will be deceived into thinking he's deity. But the nation of Israel will not, especially Jewish believers in Jesus, as well as Gentile believers. They'll say, no. Jesus is Lord. We don't worship a man, and once they refuse to worship this man of lawlessness, he will vent his anger, his satanic anger, upon them by calling for their arrest and their execution. And that's why Jesus proceeded in the next few verses to exhort those Jewish people who will be alive during these days and living in the lands of Israel, especially in Judea perhaps the city of Jerusalem, closest to the temple and therefore in the most immediate danger to stop whatever they're doing and get out of the region as fast as possible. Notice what he said in verse 16. He said, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. When you hear word that this man has committed the abomination that leads to desolation, get out of here. Go to the mountains. Now, what mountains he's talking about, we're not sure. But get to a place of safety. Could be the Judean hills. Could be cliffs by the Dead Sea. Some people think they will flee to Petra, the city of the rocks. We don't know. But get out of here. He says in verse 17, whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. If you hear about this abomination and you are relaxing on your rooftop, and the houses were flat in Israel, then don't even go down to your house. Don't take the time to go back into your house. Get out of there as quickly as possible. Your life is in danger. He says in verse 18, whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. If word reaches you that this has happened, and you happen to be working in your field, on your farm, then don't even... Take the time to get your coat. Run as fast as you can. Run for your life. He says in verses 19 and 20, the woes for those who are pregnant, those who are nursing in those days because they can't move as quickly as others. And he said, pray that it won't be. The flight won't be in the winter. That would slow you down with the winter rains and on the Sabbath, because that'll slow you down as well. Some ultra-Orthodox Jewish people will forbid you from getting out and some of them will not travel at all themselves and then he says in verse 21 the reason you need to make such haste is because for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will be this time period will be so devastating for the entire world but especially the Jewish people, that they'll not have experienced anything like this up to that point in their history or in the future. Which means, folks, that what the Jewish people will go through at that time will be worse than anything that has ever happened to them. And there have been a lot of horrible things that have happened to them. It'll be worse than being conquered by Babylon the temple destroyed and then deported. Could you imagine families just taken from your own family children and just deported to Babylon? That's what happened to Daniel. It's what happened to Ezekiel and thousands of others, of other Jewish people in 586 BC. It also means that it will be a worse time than when the Romans came in and destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and killed many, many Jewish people and sold others into slavery. If you want to read about the horrors of that, it's on record. Josephus wrote about it. It'll even be worse than the modern day Holocaust endured by European Jewry in the 1930s and 40s. So Jesus is predicting here that the suffering that will come upon Israel as well as all believers in Christ during the last three and a half years of the tribulation will be so horrible that it will be worse than all the atrocities the Jewish people have experienced in their long 4,000 year old history. And to prove just how bad those days are really going to be, Jesus makes a remarkable statement in verse 22. And so we pick up his words here. This is where we left off last week. He said, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, the Lord reveals here that the tribulation time will be so incredibly horrible, so terrible, that if God didn't sovereignly decide to cut short those days and limit them to just three and a half years, then no one No one would ever survive them. No one. But he has decreed that those days last no longer than three and a half years so that some people, note this, some people will live and see the end of the seven-year tribulation. Now, why? Why did God choose to do this? Why has God decided to limit those days so that some people will survive Up to the end of the tribulation? Well, Jesus actually gave the answer to this question at the end of verse 22 when he said something very significant. He said, But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. In other words, God has predetermined that the days of the tribulation stop short of total destruction, total annihilation, so that, watch this, a remnant of believers called here the elect will be spared. In other words, the reason that God is going to cut these days short is so that when Christ returns, there will be believers living on the earth. See, if God did not cut these days short, no Christians at all would survive this terrible. Tribulation Holocaust, because eventually they would all be caught, all be arrested and all be put to death by the government of the Antichrist. Give him enough time and he would accomplish this. But God's not going to let that happen. Why won't he let this happen? Watch this. Because the scriptures teach that there must be a remnant of believers in Christ, especially Jewish believers in Christ, that the Lord comes for at the end of the tribulation in order to deliver them and establish his kingdom on earth with them. That is to say it will fulfill his promise. You see, the scriptures tell us, the Old Testament scriptures promise that regardless of what happens in world events, the Jewish people are going to survive. No other people group has ever survived like they have. But they will survive to the end. And they will be, at the end of days, given a kingdom on earth that was promised to them. would like you to see some of the passages that teach this. In Jeremiah... Chapter 30, Jeremiah says, speaking of these days, he says in verse seven of Jeremiah 30, Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. What day are you talking about, Jeremiah? He said, and it is the time of Jacob's distress or trouble. That's another name. That's an Old Testament name for the tribulation. He said the day is terrible. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob's distress. But notice what he says at the end. But he will be saved from it. Israel will be saved. Even though distress is coming upon them. Then again, in chapter 31, this is great news. Chapter 31 of Jeremiah, look at verse 33 and following. But this is the covenant, God says, which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. What days? Days of the tribulation. Jacob's distress, declares the Lord. I will put, notice this, my law within them and on their heart. I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What is he talking about? The same thing that's happened to us if you know Christ. This is called regeneration. He's going to give them a new nature, a new heart. I'll put it within them. They'll be my people. I'll be their God. This is conversion. Notice verse 34 they will not teach again. Each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. God is saying, No more need to evangelize. They'll all be evangelized. The nation will know me. He says at the end of verse 34, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. This is salvation. This is the new covenant of salvation. What you and I have entered into as believers in Christ today, the salvation, that's what Israel will experience. He goes on to say in verse 35, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, declares the Lord then the offspring of Israel also will cease. They'll cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundation of the earth searched out below, which he means it can't be, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. What he's talking about is the impossibility of this happening. Now, regardless of the ranting and ravings of the man who is the president of the nation of Iran today, Israel will never be destroyed. Never be destroyed. God just won't let that happen. Now, she may be and she will be, and she has been severely attacked. She has and she will continue to endure many casualties. But Israel's population, we're told, will never be completely destroyed because God has promised to preserve the Jewish people and to bring them ultimately To faith in their Messiah so that they will receive, as we have, the new covenant blessings of salvation in Christ. That is precisely the point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 11. He is dealing with God's faithfulness to Israel. This is very important. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 11. Notice what Paul says. Now, back in Paul's day, there were people just like in our day saying God is through with Israel. They had their chance. They rejected their Messiah. He's cast them aside permanently. There's no way he's ever going to restore them. They're no longer his people. Instead, he has replaced Israel with the church. And they would say the church is now Israel. Folks, that's not what Paul teaches. Paul says in Romans 11, verse 1, I say then God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. Now, much of Christendom says, yes, he has. We side with the Apostle Paul. He said, may it never be. And here's his his defense. He said, if God has rejected Israel, then what am I doing here? For I, too, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. His point is this, if God has rejected Israel, Israel, because they rejected Christ, then why am I a believer? Because I have been the greatest Christ rejecter of them all. He goes on to say, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? He said, do you not understand what happened in Elijah's day? Well, he'll tell us in verse three. Here's what Elijah said. Elijah said, Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. Elijah had a little bit of a pity party, thinking he was the only one faithful to God. The whole nation had turned against God, and he was the only one left. And and we understand why Elijah would, would feel that way. He lived in a day of apostasy. From his perspective, everybody had forsaken the true God for Baal. But notice God's response. What then Paul says in verse 4 is the divine response to him. Here's the divine response. Something Elijah didn't understand. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, you're off by 7,000 people. You're off and one, 7,001. You're the one. Paul then makes this astounding conclusion. He said, in the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Now, folks, what Paul is saying here is that in every generation, including his generation, there have always been and there always will be a small minority, a remnant of Jewish people who believe in the Messiah? Sometimes in history it'll be less than others, but there'll always be some. And then, at the end of, of Romans chapter eleven, he makes a astounding statement that at the end of the tribulation, the whole nation which which will be a remnant, they'll be saved. All the Jewish people, for the most part, is a nation, the national identity of the Jewish people, at that time, the nation will be converted.
1: In our next study, Pastor Steve will show us how God always preserves a remnant of the Jewish nation who will believe on him as their Messiah. Be sure to be here. Thank you for joining our class today. You can listen to this study again by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click on message archive and then sort by date. If you have any questions, please call us at 727 727- verse by verse is an outreach ministry of lakeside community chapel in clearwater florida thank you for your continued prayer and financial support to keep this program on the air i'm your announcer jerry pruden inviting you to listen again to the next verse by verse
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org.
1: Hey, it's Andrew Southwick for Faith Talk 570 and 910, and online at letstalkfaith.com. As we continue walking through the Bible, we come to Genesis 12 and here Abram is called by God to go to the land that God will show him and God is going to make his descendants into a great nation. Obeying God's call in our lives can be scary because we rarely know how things are going to turn out. But it's not our job